Well, good morning and welcome to Rimrock Church. I'm proud of you guys for getting out in the cool of the day. <laughs> oh, that's funny. Angela keeps dropping her mic in front of the monitor. So if you hear that squeal, it's all her fault. <laughs> anyway, welcome to Rimrock Church and uh, we just bless you for coming. We bless the Lord for the rain and the beautiful coolness of the day. And uh, yeah, so we're just going to enjoy you guys. We're going to enjoy him this morning. We're going to lift him up. Amen. Let's do this. Two, three, four. All right, let's sing. Come on. I will worship with all of my heart, with all of my heart, and I will praise you. I will praise you with all of my strength, all my strength. And I will seek you. I will seek you all of my days, all of my days, and I will follow.
back and sing that first verse. Come on. I will worship. I will worship. With all of my heart. With all of my heart. And I will praise you. I will praise you. With all of my strength. All my strength. And I will seek you. I will seek you. All of my days. All of my days. Thank you for this beautiful day, Lord God. It's much more comfortable up here for us. <laughs> Not staring into the sun, we say selfishly. But we want to lift him up this morning. Say how good he is. Breathe. We live for 
out to him again and say Worthy of every song we could ever sing Oh, you are, you are Worthy of all the praise we could ever bring Worthy of every breath we could ever breathe We live for you Jesus, the only one who could ever say, You are worthy of every breath we could ever breathe. We live for you.
may be seated. Chris. Chris Brady. He's Chris has just been voted in as one of our new elders, and in in honor of that, he shaved off his hair so he'd look older, like for like yeah. An elder, right? So I used to have a foot of hair. No, I've I've never had any hair, so <laughs> it's fine though. I'm not self conscious about it or anything. So you can make fun of me if you want. Um, but yeah, my name is Chris Brady. Um, feel honored to be um, an elder as of last week. So just excited to serve the church in that way and. Uh, um, especially under the team that, that's already there. So um, we just want to welcome um, everyone, but specifically visitors. Um, there are connection cards in the back by the basketball hoop. Um, we'd love to know more about you. And uh, you can grab water there too. Um, also, communion cups are in that spot and then back here by this tree. Um, so if you didn't grab a communion cup, um, grab one because we're going to do that later together. Um, in three weeks, on August 28th, we have um, baptism just right back here in the creek and, um, and an all-church picnic. So if you um, feel like the Spirit's telling you to get baptized, um, talk to one of the pastors here, um, Josh, Ben, uh, Michael, Boomer, anybody else I'm missing there? Tom? Talk to me. Yeah, sure. Um, so <laughs> anyway, yeah, as a <laughs> If you're really confused about baptism, talk to Tom. <laughs> anyway, um, that that's pretty much all we have. Um, I got I got the privilege of baptizing my daughter back here last year. It was an incredible experience. So um, just don't ignore that if the Spirit's telling you to to take that that step, that leap um, of just declaring your faith in front of uh, the congregation. So uh, we'll keep going with worship. Yeah, sounds good. Thanks, guys. Thanks, Chris. Love this guy and his wife. Amazing people. Let's do this. All right, let's sing.
guitar. Oh, 
broken as an offering of love. For I am nothing. I am nothing without you. All my soul needs is all your love to cover me. So all the team. Hey, it's so good to see each of you to be together in God's presence. And it's, uh, it's good to have some clouds because I can actually see a lot of your faces now. <laughs> Usually you're hiding over in the shade, but today I get to see you. Thankful for that. See a few friends from Minnesota here that are wel- welcome guys. So got to love the rally. So uh, this week I got a, a text, or yesterday, yesterday I got a text from uh, someone saying uh, Laura and Chad Bozis's father, Jerry, had passed away, and it was, it was just such a reminder in the text we're going to be in today in Mark that life is short. We don't know, we don't know when God will call us home. And uh, so I just pray, pray for the Bosnus family, 
Uh, I know Jerry was baptized here about four years ago. Is that correct? Four years ago here in the river. And uh, we're, we're so thankful for our faith, our trust in Jesus. But be praying for them. I think there's going to be a service on Friday. Um, we'll get more details out. But this morning, as we, uh, as we continue our journey through the Gospel of Mark, I, I want to tell you a, a story before we, we dive into the, the Scripture that I think really illustrates what we're going to be talking about, because Jesus is going to talk about life. We're going to be in Mark chapter 8, uh, the end of 8, verse 34 through 9, um, uh, 12. And Jesus talks a lot about life. And uh, we have a lot of ideas about life. As we've been seeing through the Gospel of Mark, Jesus, he always goes deeper. <laughs> like, he, he, he goes to the very essence of the issue. In chapter 7, he had an argument, or not an argument, the Pharisees were arguing, but he was um, discussing with the Pharisees about what makes a person unclean, what defiles, what, what causes sin, what causes the problems in our world. And and if you think back about three or four weeks ago when we were in that passage, we were asking the question, what, what really satisfies? Like, what, what's the essence of life for us as human beings? What makes us happy? What fulfills us? What makes life worth living? You see, see Jesus gets to the core of those questions, and uh, we're going to be looking at that this morning. I when I was in college, I, uh, uh, I went to a Bible college in Chicago called Moody Bible Institute, and uh, we had a lot of preaching. We had a lot of speakers come from all over the country, all over the world, and, and I learned a lot in that time. But if I, I mean, that was a long time ago that I was in college, but there was a few people that really, um, God really used to, to impact my heart uh, towards Jesus. And one of those per pe persons was uh, a lady named Joni Erickson Tata. And uh, I, for some reason that night, I got to sit right up on the front row. Usually, I, I like to be a back row. I'm a back row guy. <laughs> I usually go for the back. But for some reason, I ended up right on the, the front. And uh, I just remember being so touched as Joni shared. And, and it wasn't that she told uh, amazing stories. Or it wasn't that she had a great sense of humor or had an amazing personality, but, but my recollection of that night was that she radiated light and life. <laughs> there, was, there was something about her that, that radiated joy and hope. But if I think about the content of what she shared, she shared about struggle. You see, Joni, when she was a young woman, maybe 17, 18 years old, she had a... a she came from a very athletic family. Her, I think her dad had been Olympian, but she, she dived into a lake and she broke her neck. And so from the moment she was about 17, 18 years old, I don't remember exact age, but she's been in a wheelchair her whole life. And she talked about depression and anxiety, hardship, difficulty. Yet that night as I, I watched her share uh, the message of Jesus, and I saw the radiance of life emanating from her person. After, the, after she shared, I just sat there, and uh, many people went, but there was a line that formed, a line of people. And what struck me is people weren't asking for Joni's autograph. They weren't taking pictures with her. Uh, 
they wanted to be touched by her. These were hurting people, people with needs, and they wanted Joni to touch them, to pray for them. And she loved and cared and prayed for person after person. I just sat there and watched in amazement because I saw life, <laughs> light. Jesus said, you are the light of the world. <laughs> he said, you are the salt of the earth. And I understood that night what Jesus meant because I saw it. I felt it. I saw the power of something in Joni's life that was affecting not only her life, but the people around her. And it was affecting me <laughs> as a young man trying to figure out what is life all about? <laughs> what am I going to do with my life? <laughs> how, how am I going to spend myself? And I remember being so impacted that night and saying, I want what Joni has. <laughs> I want that kind of life. I want that kind of impact. This week, as I was preparing, the reason that came back to me is I was reading something that Joni wrote recently. And this is what she said. Uh, in another place, she said, Jesus did not heal her physically, but he, she said, he holds me. <laughs> he holds me. But this is what she says. She says, God transformed my heart because she talked about her struggle. She struggled with sin, with disappointment, depression, even even sinful attitudes for other people. But she said, God transformed my heart. He changed my attitude. He showed me there's more important things in life than walking. Think about that for a moment. Like, think about your desires today. Like, what are you hoping for? What are, what are you desiring today? Like, for Joni, she, she says, if I could just walk, <laughs> that'd be great. But, but she says, there's something even more important than walking. She says, aging with quadriplegia may be filled with extra challenges, but it doesn't demoralize me. With God's help, I hold everything lightly. I try not to grasp, grasp at my fragile life, nor coddle it, nor minimize my activities at Joni and Friends just because I'm getting older, growing weaker, dealing with more pain, Rather, I find great comfort and joy. She uses the word joy in dying to self and living every day to serve the Lord Jesus and others around the world whose disabilities are far more profound than mine. And then she goes, When I do become tired, I'm inspired by the life of Jesus. Even as he was nailed to the cross and in great pain, nevertheless, Jesus kept serving others, like the thief on the cross, his mother, the soldiers who needed his forgiveness. So she says, so I'm heaven bent on honoring Jesus, serving others, finishing the race, completing the task, testifying to the gospel of grace. Isn't that beautiful? And my brothers and sisters, that's why we're here. We're here to testify to the gospel of grace, that Jesus came into this world to, to address the deepest desire, the deepest need that you have, that I have, that Johnny, Joni has, that every single living person has in this world. And so I think the question for us is, do we want to receive what Jesus has for us? <laughs> that, that's the question in, in the Gospel of Mark. As we've been reading the Gospel, uh, C.S. Lewis said, when we come to Jesus... 
you can't just think he was a, a good moral teacher. You can't, you can't just think he was a, a prophet. He doesn't give us that option. In fact, the Pharisees, uh, the C.S. Lewis said, either you can either think he's a total lunatic, and that's what the Pharisees say. They're, they say, you're, you're demon-possessed. You're crazy. That's an option. You can come to Jesus and you can reach that conclusion. I, you can come to Jesus and you can think he's a liar, C.S. Lewis said. But you can't come to Jesus and just say he was a good man or a good moral teacher because Jesus doesn't give us that option. He claims to be God. He claims to have the words of life. He claims to know what we most need. <laughs> he claims to have good news that the kingdom of God is the best news that we could ever receive. So let's, let's keep that in mind as we hear the words of Jesus this morning. I'm going to start in verse 8, and we're just kind of going to walk verse by verse in uh, chapter 8, sorry, va chapter 8, verse 34. And then Jesus, he called the crowd to him along with his disciples, and he said, whoever wants to be my disciple. I think that's the first question for us this morning. Do you want to be Jesus' disciple? Do I want to be his disciple? Like, don't you love that, that Jesus <laughs> invites us to want it? He, he didn't come to force his way, to force himself in the world. One of the great themes of the Gospel of Mark is that Jesus came as a servant, as a suffering servant. He didn't come with an army. He didn't come with a sword and say, you better get in line. <laughs> he says, whoever wants to be my disciple. I think that's the first question we all have to ask. What do we want? What are we looking for? What are we looking for in this life? And Jesus asks us to examine our wants, to examine our desires. What are we looking for? But if you're looking for Jesus, he's there. <laughs> he's available. He's present, and I believe he's present with us right here today. He's present, waiting, inviting. If you want to be my disciple, then he says, you must. This is what he says. You must deny, you must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. I really wrestled with that this week because I think I had a misunderstanding of that verse um, for much of my life, I thought, I thought that was about sacrifice, personal sacrifice. I thought that was about suffering. But I, I, after this week, I don't think that's what that's saying. Because I started thinking about the cross. And we know the cross is, as Christians because Jesus died on a cross. But he doesn't say, my cross. Jesus did something on the cross that we couldn't do. But he says, their cross your cross. He's talking about our cross. He says they must deny themselves and take up their cross. What's he talking about? I think we have to understand that discussion that Jesus had with the Pharisees in chapter 7, where they talked about what makes a person unclean. Where does evil come from? What's, what's the core problem in our world? I love what Chesterton said, because there was an essay contest in England, 
And the question for the essay was, what's wrong with the world? <laughs> and so people wrote in long essays, long answers to try to solve the problems of the world. Chesterton wrote one sentence. He says, I am. I am the problem with the world. And that's what Jesus says in chapter 7. He says, what comes out of a person is what defiles them, for it is what from within, out of a person's heart, my heart, your heart, that evil thoughts come, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, greed, malice, deceit, lewdness, envy, slander, arrogance, folly. All these evils come from inside and defiled person. What's wrong with the world? You see, the, the cross in the time of Jesus, it wasn't a religious symbol. <laughs> people, people didn't wear crosses around their neck. There weren't buildings, there weren't church buildings with cross, big crosses. And because the cross symbolized something horrible, the Romans used the cross for the worst of the worst. The, the, the worst criminals, the, the people who were uh, rebelling against society and against Rome, and, and the people crucified, were, it was done publicly. And so it was kind of like, think about American history, it was kind of like our, the lynchings that we used to do here in the United States where mobs would come and they would lynch people. It was a, it was a horrible thing. And, and that's what the cross was. It was public, and, and people were crucified naked. So it was so shameful, it was so ugly, so dehumanizing. It, it was a shameful thing. It was, it was something that, that most people didn't talk about. It was an ugly thing. So when Jesus says, I, I think he's talking about the ugly things inside of us. <laughs> the and it's what's wrong with our world. It's why there's so much violence and disappointment and abuse and hardship and poverty, and darkness in our world is because of these shameful, ugly things in our hearts. And he says, you must take that up. You must take that up if you're going to be my disciple. If you want to follow me, you have to deal with who you really are when no one's looking. The secret places, the places we hide, the places we're ashamed of. Guilt, shame. Jesus says we, we have to go there. <laughs> you, like, like Jesus, he, he, doesn't, he doesn't just give us a nice, feel-good message. He says you have to go there if you want to be my disciple. If you want to follow me. Verse 35, forever who wants to save their life will lose it. But whoever loses their life for me and the gospel will save it. What's Jesus talking about? I don't know about you, but I like to win. <laughs> I don't like to lose. None of us wants to lose. And I think what Jesus is saying here is he wants all of us to win. He doesn't want anyone to lose. Jesus said, I didn't come into the world to condemn the world. I came to save the world. Jesus didn't come into this world to, to make us feel bad. He came to deliver us, to heal us, to rescue us from our deepest problems, our deepest struggles. He came to save us. So he, he doesn't want us to lose. And that's why he's speaking to us like, like I speak to my kids. <laughs> when, when I know they're, they're going the wrong way, I, 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 I speak the truth to them. I speak, speak the truth in love. I say, watch out, be careful. And that's what Jesus is saying. He says, if you want to save your life, 
you have to lose it. What's he talking about? This word life in the Greek, there's, there's three Greek words for life. We have to understand this because throughout this passage, he uses the same word. So when you see in the following verses where he talks about soul, it's the same word. It's the Greek word where we get the English word psyche. It's, he's talking about the essence of our being, but not the physical side of who we are, but the immaterial, spiritual side of who we are as human beings. Um, the Greek word literally means breath. This last uh, week I was talking to a woman, part of our community, whose, whose mother just passed away, and she was with her at her bedside when her mom passed away, and, and she described it as, as that final breath, like the, the breath left her body. And, I, and I've been there when people are in that moment, and and, and there's something incredible that happens because the body's still there. You would think the person's still there, but they're not there. When my son was young, we went to uh, my, my wife's grandmother's funeral, and, and he was maybe three or four, and we went up to the casket, and the body was laid there. And this was the first time my son had ever seen a dead body. And, and he looked, and we were just quiet, and he looked up at me, and he said, Dad, where's Grandma? Her body was there, but at three, he understood that the breath wasn't there. The essence of the person wasn't there. That's what this word is about. This life word is the, is the immaterial, spiritual side of who you are. This, this isn't, um, this isn't uh, separated from the body, but is the essence of who we are without our bodies and this is important as we go into chapter 9, as we begin to understand God's purpose of salvation for our lives. But Jesus says, if we try to keep that part, and this is also the word where we get the idea of our desires, the soul, the, the, the desires and the loves of our heart come from this part of who we are. He says, if we try to keep it, we will lose it. Verse 36, what good is it for someone to gain the whole world, yet forfeit their soul. It's also the same word, life. Lose their breath, their essence, their desire, their essence of who they are, their being. What good is it? So here's the human dilemma. We're all looking for life. <laughs> this life is short. <laughs> it's fleeting. It's brief. Yet Jesus wants us to understand who we are the essence of what it means to really live. And it's more than just our physical selves. It's more than just gaining what this world says will bring life. And so that's the essence of the question is, what, what gives life? Is it our things? Is it what we achieve? Is it our relationships? Is it how much money we got? Is it the houses, the cars, material possessions? Is it prestige? Is it fame? I mean, the world will throw a hundred things at you. <laughs> is it our desires? You know, if we think about our time now, is if you feel something, if you want something, go for it. Discover it. Discover who you are. And the world says, then we will gain it. But Jesus says, but if you gain the whole world, but you lose the essence of what God created you to be, what you is it? Let's keep reading. 
What can anyone give in exchange for their soul? What can anyone give in exchange for their soul? And so what Jesus is saying is, you can't get this on your own. (laughs) You can't pay enough. You can't do enough. Jesus is saying there's no price for the life that we have that we can't get on our own. That this is something that only God can do. Verse 38. If anyone is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, the Son of Man will be ashamed of them when he comes in his Father's glory with the holy angels. So here's the dividing moment for every person who's ever lived. So what are we going to do with Jesus? Because Jesus is saying that we cannot gain life. We cannot have life apart from him. That's what he's saying. We know from John, John, and, and John, Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. He's saying there is no way you can get life apart from me. That's what he's saying here. That's why, that's why we, can't, we can't come to Jesus and say he's just a good teacher. He's, he's saying life, the essence of what you were created for, is found in me. I'm your creator. I'm your maker. I am God. And I can give you what you can't discover on your own, what you can't get on your own. And so he's saying, if anyone is ashamed of me and my words, so the, the condition of our world is adulterous and sinful, the greatest command is to love the Lord our God with all our heart, soul, and strength. So we were made to be in relationship with God, to be lovers of God. Our desire is to be for God. And yet, we have all broken the great, greatest commands. We've had other gods. We've wanted other things. We've loved other things. And so he's saying, receive me. If you're ashamed of me, I will be ashamed of you. And so he says, when he comes in the Father's glory with all his angels, this is a declaration of his divinity, of his lordship, of his glory. And it's also an aspect of life that is so important that I think will bring comfort to the Bosnus family, will bring comfort to all of us, is that we are more than just physical beings, that there is a present reality of life, but there's also a future reality of life. (laughs) Isn't that good news? That there is a a future. There's an eternity. This is why Jesus talked a lot about eternal life. That the life that Jesus gives isn't just a temporary life, transitory, fading life. It's an exceedingly glorious life that continues and exceeds in glory and goodness. And so we are more than just physical beings. And he said to them, verse, chapter 9, verse 1, truly I tell you, Some of you who are standing here will not taste death before they see that the kingdom of God has come with power. So he's talking to his disciples. And I think there's a, there's going to be a present fulfillment that we're going to read about, but there's also a future fulfillment that I think all of us will experience in the resurrection. And I think that's what he's talking about. He's talking about his future coming. And he's going to make this world right. He's going to restore all things. In Revelation it says, Behold, I make all things new. No more death. No more tears. No more sorrow. No more pain. Isn't that good news? Jesus is going to restore all things. The resurrection is real. Alright, let's keep reading because we can't understand what Jesus is going to, what he's talking about without this next story. He's going to bring it all together for us. After six days, Jesus took Peter, James, and John with him. 
and he led them up a high mountain. So I love climbing mountains. <laughs> My wife laughs at me because if I see a mountain, I want, I want to climb it. <laughs> That's just in me. And I think Jesus liked to climb mountains because if you read through the Gospels, he was continually going up big mountains. This doesn't tell us which mountain, but if you go to Israel... And if you go to Caesarea Philippi, where Jesus was just with his disciples before this time, this is in northern Israel, there's a massive mountain called Mount, Her Mount Hermon. And it's the biggest mountain in the whole area. In fact, it's covered with snow most of the year. Personally, I think that was the mountain. There's tradition that said it could have been Mount Tabor, which is further south in Galilee. Um, but there's a couple clues here. It was a high mountain, and it also says they were alone up there. And there would have been no one else on top of Mount Hermon. So they led him up a high mountain where they were all alone. And there he was transfigured before them. This speaks to me because I think a lot of times we look for fulfillment in things like climbing mountains, riding on motorcycles, <laughs> skydiving. We look for these experiences. But Jesus had just finished talking about true life. The kind of life that we can't get on our own, that we have to, in a sense, give up ourselves, lose in order to receive what only he could give us. And so Jesus is teaching us something. He's teaching his disciples that satisfaction and fulfillment doesn't come through necessarily experience, but it comes through a person. He led them up a high mountain where they were all alone and he was transfigured before them. And his clothes became dazzling white, whiter than anyone in the world could bleach them. And there appeared before them Elijah and Moses, who were talking with Jesus. What's going on here? <laughs> Jesus is revealing his true self, his true nature. You see, the disciples were struggling with, who is this Jesus? In fact, in chapter 8, Jesus asked them, who do you say I am? Who do you say I am? And that's the, the question all of us have to grapple with. Who is this Jesus? Who is he? And he is transformed and transfigured before them. And he becomes light. <laughs> he is God. If you think about in Genesis chapter 1, it says, In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And what was the first thing that he spoke into creation? Let there be light. Those words continue to reverberate throughout the whole universe. Light. And we see the essence of who God is. He said, He is the light. He is the light that has now appeared to us. And Paul says, in the face of Jesus, we see the light of the glory of God. Both John and Peter later talk about this. In 1 John, he says, We have beheld his glory, the glory of the one and only. And Peter talked about the glory of Jesus being revealed in this moment. This is the very presence and glory of God being revealed to the disciples and being revealed to us. Do you see his light? <laughs> this isn't just physical light. This is a light that can only be seen through faith through spiritual eyes. But he was transfigured before them and his clothes became dazzling white. I think what captures me here is that this is the person of Jesus, but everything around him, his, his very clothes are being affected by his presence. It's, it, it's 
penetrating all of reality. It's penetrating his very clothes. It's affecting everything around him. It became dazzling white. Whiter than anyone in the world can bleach them. Like, I'm sure that they don't have words for this, but, but there's something here that is the essence of life, the essence of what we're looking for, the essence that holds all the world and everything together is being revealed in this moment. Isn't verse 4 interesting? Elijah and Moses show up. What's that telling us? This is God's story. From, from Genesis, God has been revealing himself. He revealed himself through the whole story, through the giving of the law, through the prophets, Elijah. But I think there's also a lesson here about the essence of who we are as people. That the resurrection is a real thing. Elijah and Moses are resurrected beings. <laughs> their, their bodies died. Well, not Elijah, I'm sorry. <laughs> he was taken up in a chariot. But Moses, his body died. But the essence of who they are has been resurrected. And the disciples didn't need to be introduced. They knew who these people were. I think when we're all in glory together, resurrected in beings, we'll, we'll know each other. There won't be any barriers. There won't be any walls. We'll, we'll have true fellowship, true relationship. I think that's one of the joys. Jesus said, make friends on earth so that when you're in, your, in my Father's glory, you can welcome them to the eternal abode. And so our relationships matter. Our life here matters. The people we're with matter. <laughs> we're eternal beings. Every person you interact with is an eternal being. Think about that. Doesn't that grip you? Puts things into perspective. Elijah and Moses were there talking with Jesus. What does that tell us about who God is? He's a relational God. He created us to be in relationship with him, to be in relationship with one another. That's the richest thing I think about life is that the people that we know, the people we love, the people that love us, talking, sharing. This is what we were created for. And, and, and Jesus' resurrection glory magnifies that longing we have to be in relationship. Verse 5, Peter said to Jesus, Rabbi, it's good for us to be here. <laughs> Let us put up three shelters, one for you, one for Moses, one for Elijah. And verse 6 is really helpful. He did not know what to say because they were so frightened. I'm so thankful for Peter. <laughs> because so many times I don't know what to say. I fumble over my words. And Peter's, Peter's just like us. We're just like Peter. We don't know what to say. Peter doesn't know what to say in this glorious moment. But I think there's a, a, a hint here that Peter doesn't fully understand, that sometimes we don't fully understand, and there's grace there, that we don't fully understand what God is, is doing, because Peter's mind is still still rooted in, in, in achievement and physical things and, and shelters and, and festivals and, and human religiosity and things, but, but, but he misses the point. And we so often miss the point. But God is so gracious and Jesus is so gracious because he goes on. And then a cloud appeared and covered them. And a voice came from the cloud. This reminds us of Mount Sinai where God met with Moses in a cloud and listen to this message. This is my son whom I love. 
listen to him. This is my son whom I love. Listen to him. Think back a few chapters to the baptism. What did God say at the baptism? This is my son whom I love. With him I am well pleased. It's the same message. Martin Luther said this is the highest message. This is the highest sermon. This is the greatest sermon. This is the greatest words we could ever hear. Listen. Do we hear? This is the essence of what God wants to reveal to us about life. This is my son. Jesus is God. This is a revelation of the Trinity, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit revealed in all his glory, in all his holiness, in all his love. Because he says, this is my son whom I love. God is a relational God. John says, God is love. That is the essence of who he is. John 17, 14 through 17 re- describes that relational love where, where the son gives his life for the father and the father gives his life for the Son and the Holy Spirit, and the Spirit gives His life for the Son. It's eternal, sacrificial love. And it's being revealed to us in this sermon. This is my Son whom I love. Listen to Him. What's the essence of what we desire? What are we looking for in life? (laughs) I've talked to thousands of people over my years as a pastor and, and lots of stories, lots of situations, but, but if, I, if I examine, if I get really deep in myself and everyone I've ever talked to in my life, I think if, if I boil it down, we just want to be loved. <laughs> we just want to be accepted. We just want to belong. We want to find who we are, our identity. And that most foundational desire for love is being revealed right here in God himself. This is my son whom I love. Later, the Apostle Paul would talk about this sermon in Romans chapter 8. We don't have time to read it, but go back this week and read Romans chapter 8. It's all about being adopted as sons and daughters of God the Most High. That we too... (laughs) can be adopted and called sons and daughters, that we too can cry out, Abba, Father, that we too can know this kind of love. Listen to him. And suddenly when they looked around, they no longer saw anyone with them except Jesus. Nothing but Jesus. (laughs) If you boil our faith down to its most essence, it's not what we do, It's not going to church. It's not doing anything else. It's, it's all about Jesus. Because we can't save ourselves. What, what could we do? What can we give in exchange for our souls? What can we do to gain life? There is nothing left but Jesus. It's Jesus. Jesus. He is the Lord. He is the Messiah. As prophet Isaiah, as he looked into the future, as he he prophesied about the Messiah, he said, Wonderful Counselor, Almighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace, and the government will be upon his shoulders. All human longing, all human desire, all human need is found in the person of Jesus Christ. He is Lord. Oh, worship him. He is Lord. He is the Christ. He is the Messiah. 
He is the giver of life. They looked around and there was no one with them except Jesus. Brothers and sisters, there will be a day where we will take our final breath. All this life, everything we've achieved, all our bank accounts, everything we own, won't matter because all of that will be stripped away. What will you hold on to in that moment? What will give you life in that moment when you're about to ready to take your last breath? That day's coming for all of us. If you place your faith in Jesus, I believe he will be there. <laughs> he will be there. He will be with you. He will sustain you. As Joni Erickson Tata said, my physical body wasn't healed, but Jesus has held me. And I believe we will be held by Jesus when everything else is stripped away. And as they were coming down the mountain, Jesus gave them orders not to tell anyone what they had seen until the Son of Man had risen from the dead. So there's a, there's a future reality that disciples don't understand that, that the purpose of Jesus, that, that he has a cross, he has a resurrection to accomplish what he just revealed, to, to make possible for us to be called sons and daughters so that we can be held by Jesus, so that we can know and have life. There's a future reality of his death and resurrection. And they kept the matter to themselves, discussing what does rising from the dead mean? And they asked him, what do the teachers of the law say when they, when they say Elijah must come first? And Jesus replied, to be sure, Elijah does come first and restores all things. Why then is it written that the Son of Man must suffer much and be rejected? But I tell you, Elijah has come, and they have done to him everything they wish, just as was written about him. I think Jesus is talking about John the Baptist here. And remember, John the Baptist had a terrible death. He was beheaded, and it seemed like his life ended too, too abruptly, too shortly. This goes back to Jesus' early, earlier discussion about life. What does it mean to really live? Because we would say John the Baptist's life was a tragedy, but Jesus would say it was not a tragedy. In fact, Jesus flips it on its head. And he says, the Son of Man must also suffer and be rejected. He's saying, the very thing that happened to John the Baptist is going to happen to me. We're going to take communion this morning. And I'm going to invite the worship team to come on up. And I, I want you to take out your cups. Because here, here's what God is reminding of us this, this morning. And my prayer for you, for me this morning, is that we'd be reminded of this reality. We're not going to gain life in any way outside of Jesus Christ. He's here to remind us that he came to suffer for us. You see, I, I, I was all... I was messed up in my thinking. I, I thought that passage was all about my sacrifice. What I could do in denying myself and taking up my cross. But in reality, this passage is all about what Jesus has done for us. What he's done for me. I, don't, I can't do anything to please God. There's nothing I can do to earn his favor. He's loved me. He loved me first. He loved you first. He died on the cross for you. And I have to grapple with my own sinfulness, my own selfishness, my own fear, 
my own depression, my own anxiety, my own desires. We all do. We have to grapple with that. We must deny ourselves and we must take up our cross, but, but we have to look to Jesus and what he did on his cross. Before we take communion, I want to read a little bit of Isaiah 53. Because here's the good news. <laughs> Surely Jesus, he took up our pain and he bore our suffering. Are you suffering this morning? Know this, that Jesus died for you. He takes up your pain. He takes up your suffering. Yet we considered him punished by God, stricken by him, afflicted, but he was pierced for our transgression. I'm so thankful for the cross of Jesus. He was crushed for our iniquities. He was punished. His punishment brought us peace that was upon him. He takes our guilt. He takes our shame. You don't have to stay in that guilt and shame. He took it for you. And by his wounds, we are healed. What hope does this world have? It's Jesus. How can we be healed? Jesus. We all like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned our own way. And the Lord has laid upon him the iniquity of us all. I'm, just, I'm crying because I'm just so thankful for what Jesus has done. He was oppressed and afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter. And as a sheep before the shears, his silence. So he did not open his mouth. And by oppression and judgment, he was taken away. Yet who of his generation protested? All the disciples abandoned him. We've all abandoned Jesus. We've, we have, we've all failed in some way. For he was cut off from the land of the living. He experienced death like we do. And for his transgression... And for the transgressions of my people, he was punished. He was assigned the grave with the wicked and with the rich in his death. And though he had done no violence, nor was there any deceit in his mouth, yet it was the Lord's will to crush him and to cause him to suffer. And though the Lord makes his life an offering for sin, he will see his offspring and prolong his days. There's resurrection hope. And he will... And in the will of the Lord will prosper in his hand. And after he has suffered, he will see the light of life and will be satisfied. Do you hear that? This is the resurrection. Jesus rose again. And here's the good news, my brothers and sisters. He took our sin. He took our guilt. He took our shame. His cross accomplished it. And we too will see the light of life. And I don't think that's just a future thing. I think right now. I think what Joni, Joni had and what I see in many of you, I look out on this place and I see the light of life in you. It's with us today, but it will be with us even after death. He will see the light of life and be satisfied. And by his knowledge, my righteous servant will justify many. That's you and me. We're made righteous. We're justified. And he will bear their iniquities. Therefore, I will give him a portion among the great. And he will divide his spoils with the strong because he poured out his life unto death and he was numbered with the transgressors and he bore the sins of many and made intercession with the transgressors. Let's take the bread. And Jesus said, this is my body broken for you. He said, do this in remembrance of me. I needed this reminder this morning. 
And I pray that you need that reminder this morning. Let's take and eat and remember that his body was broken for us. And then after the bread, Jesus passed the cup to the disciples. He said, uh, before he would suffer on the cross, he wanted them to understand what he was doing. He said, this is my blood poured out for you. This is the blood of his covenant, of his promise, that we too will be forgiven and called sons and daughters. Let's drink in remembrance. Let's praise his name. Thank you. 
May your struggles keep you near the cross, and may your troubles show that you need God, and may your battles in the way they should, may your bad days prove that. God is good, and may your whole life prove that God is good. Amen. Amen. God, that's our prayer this morning, that our whole life would prove that you are good, God. That's the desire of our hearts. Thank you. God bless you. See you next Sunday.